79, maybe it was 78, a fellow by the name of J. Gordon Melton published a book called The Encyclopedia of American Religions. It, it drew quite a bit of attention in its time because people were shocked that this man, Melton, had been able to identify 1,200 different religious sects in America. 1,200 in 1978. Well, that was probably a pretty low estimate, as a matter of fact, even in 1978. Because only about 10 or 11 years later, in 1989, the United Nations released what they called the World Census on Religious Activities, and they reported 23,000 different religious organizations in the world. Well, what's all that tell you? Well, there's a lot. I mean, whatever number you care to settle upon, there are a lot of different religious groups, and of them, many who wear the name Christian. Now, we've been sold the concept, and a lot of people have bought into the notion that all of those are okay, that each and every one of those different religious organizations is okay. We've been told specifically that denominationalism is a good thing, that all these different groups, at least among those who identify themselves as believers in Jesus Christ, among all these different religious groups, that the diversity is acceptable and even a thing to be embraced. We should not be discouraged or disappointed about the fact that there are so many, hundreds, thousands of different religious groups professing allegiance to Jesus Christ and yet teaching different things, practicing different things, being really at diametrical different ends of the spectrum in regards to various doctrinal subjects. We've been told denominationalism is okay, even good. We want to study from the Word of God to find out what God thinks about this subject in our study today. Thank you for being here on this Lord's Day. We're very grateful for your presence. Glad that you've come. For those who are visiting, we're we're especially thankful that you've made time to be with us today. We want you to come back every time you have a chance. As we study along together from the Scriptures this morning, please check to make sure that we're using the Scriptures accurately. We believe that that is our, our duty, our absolute obligation. We do not want to be misusing the Word of God. And if you find that there's some mistake, please bring that to our attention. We want to base everything upon a true and careful analysis of the things contained in the Word of God. And if we're wrong, please tell us. If we're right, of course, then the challenge becomes that we must live by these truths and apply them in our daily lives. Thanks for being here this morning. We appreciate you very much. Let's talk about denominationalism. I want to point out what should be obvious, just from a very common sense analysis, that the whole concept of denominationalism is flawed. For instance, there are those who would tell us that denominationalism is sort of just like the branches to a tree. For instance, they might picture it like this. Here we have a tree, and the, the, the trunk of the tree, the base, the, the substance of the tree is Christ and his church. But there are different branches of that tree. For instance, one branch might be the Baptist church, and another branch the Presbyterian church or the Lutheran church, and another branch the Methodist church. But we're all part of the same whole. We're all part of that tree. We're just different branches on that tree. The various denominations are just different branches on the tree. Now, I'll tell you something. Again, even from a common sense point of view, that doesn't make any sense because trees don't have different branches. You wouldn't have a tree 
that would be on this branch, an oak tree, but this branch over here is a walnut tree. And maybe this is a hickory nut branch, and that's a, uh, some other thing. Maybe that's a, a locust branch going that way. You don't have trees like that. Trees can't grow like that. That's an impossibility. And so to, to represent this concept of all one, just different branches of the same thing, doesn't even make sense. Actually, the picture of different branches on a tree, I think, is based in a misinterpretation of a statement that Jesus made in John chapter 15, which we read just earlier. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now again, people would suggest that this is teaching. Here's Jesus. He's the main trunk or vine. Uh, and then we're just branches, Baptist branch off here, Methodist branch off there, Presbyterian branch off there. That's not what this is talking about, right? Jesus is the vine. We as individuals are the branches. Notice, he says, he that abideth in me, the same shall bring forth much fruit. If a man abide in me. Jesus wasn't talking about religious organizations here. He was talking about individuals and our relationship in him. And so again... The idea of denominationalism being branches of a tree isn't true. It doesn't even make sense, really. Another picture that people sometimes uh, would suggest that describes what denominationalism is is that it is pieces of a pie. And so you picture a pie here. And maybe one slice is the Presbyterian church, another slice is the Baptist church, another slice is the Nazarenes, and another uh, slice of that pie is the Pentecostals. And we're really all part of the same pie. We're just different slices or pieces of that pie. Now, again, I just ask you to analyze that from what makes sense logically. We got some good cooks in our assembly this morning, and I would just ask you, could you make a pie that would be one slice, uh, maybe pumpkin, and the slice beside it will be blueberry, and the slice beside that will be pecan, could you make a pie like that? Well, you couldn't even make a pie like that, could you? And if you did, it probably wouldn't even be edible. You wouldn't want to even look at it. It'd be a horrible thing. No, that just doesn't make sense from a common sense point of view. People also suggest that denominationalism is really just all of us following different roads or different routes to the same destination. Now, what we're wanting to do is we're all just wanting to go to heaven. And you may choose to follow the Baptist road that leads to heaven. And somebody else may choose to follow the Presbyterian road that goes to heaven. And, and I choose to follow the Lutheran road that goes to heaven. But we're all just on different roads that all go to the same place. We're all just going to heaven. Now, that might be a more reasonable thing because we understand that different roads do. You can take different roads to go to the same physical destination, for instance. If I were to ask you to go to the mall from here, I want you to leave here and go to the mall. I want to tell you there's several different routes that you could take. Some are better than others. Some would get you there quicker. Some would involve less mileage. But the fact of the matter is you could take several different roads and they would all get you eventually to the mall. 
And so someone says, that, well, that, that's the better picture then. Maybe that's the picture. Maybe branches of a tree doesn't work and pieces of a pie doesn't work very well, but different roads to the same destination. That's what we're claiming denominationalism is. Well, what about that? That might work except for the fact that Jesus said there are different routes. There's only one way. You remember his famous statement in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus said he was the singular way. There is a way, the way, that goes to the Father. Years later, maybe 30 years later, when the Apostle Paul was making his defense after he'd been arrested for being a Christian, he said, this I confess unto thee, that after the way, which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. There was a way, a single way, the way, one way. And so while people might argue that we're just following different roads to the same destination, that's not true to the Scriptures that don't, that don't allow. The Scriptures don't allow. They don't talk about different routes or different roads. They talk about one way, the way that leads to the Father. So as we begin our analysis of denominationalism, let us just simply say that it's a flawed concept. People have come to accept it. They act like it's normal and okay. But even when you just think about it, you realize that just doesn't work. That's not a good situation. What we can also see as we open the pages of Scripture is that it is the absolute opposite of the picture that the Bible paints concerning what the church is and ought to be. We know that in the first century, there was a great emphasis placed upon the fact that all were teaching the same thing and everyone was doing the same thing. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul said, I teach the same thing in every church. He didn't say, well, when I go over here, I teach that you can be saved by faith only and that you don't have to be baptized. But when I go to another place, I teach them that baptism is for the remission of sins. When I go some places, I teach that you ought to worship God with a cappella singing, vocal music, not with instrumental music. But when I go to another place and they want to bring in their instruments, I acknowledge that it's okay for them to do so. Paul did not say I teach different things in different places wherever I go. Instead, he said I teach the same thing everywhere I go. Think about that for a minute. And when you imagine the churches of the first century, would you agree with me that if they were teaching and practicing different things, there would have been a problem and the apostle would have addressed that? Instead, he, said, he stressed the idea of uniformity of belief and practice. We know as well that division is plainly condemned in the Word of God. Um, what about the idea that some might do one thing and some might do something different, uh, would it have been allowed? Uh, if, if the apostles caught wind of the fact, for instance, that maybe people were practicing different things in regards to the Lord's Supper, some were observing it every first day of the week, but others were observing it once a month. Some were just doing it a couple times a year. And maybe in a place or two, they were only doing it once a year. What if the apostle found out that there was division on a subject like that? What if there was some division on the day of worship? What if division existed? 
Well, we know when there was even a hint of division, it was immediately addressed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 10, Paul talks about the situation at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 10, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them that are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Do you get the idea there? That in that situation in the city of Corinth, they be, had begun to factionalize exactly like what has completely materialized today in the matter of denominationalism. When Paul heard about it, he hadn't even been there yet personally to see this happening, uh, but when he heard about it, when it was reported to him that these things were happening, he wrote to the church at Corinth and urged them to stop it immediately. He urged them to be one. He said that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and same judgment. Think about that. Be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Well, my opinion is that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. But Arthur back there, he's very much of the opinion that you must be baptized to be saved. Gordon thinks that it's okay to sprinkle people for baptism, but Dan there thinks that people should be immersed in order to be baptized, but it's okay. We've got a lot of different ideas on this matter of baptism, but it doesn't really matter. It's all okay. Well, wait a minute. Are we of the same mind and the same judgment? No. We're not, are we? But Paul said we should. We must be of the same mind and be of the same judgment. We are to be one. We're to be united, not divided. In this text, Paul asked an interesting question that has direct application to our subject this morning. He said, is Christ divided? Do you understand that to be a rhetorical question? A rhetorical question is one where you ask the question, but the answer is so obvious you don't even have to give the answer. And so when Paul asked, is Christ divided, the obvious answer is no, Christ is not divided. And yet in our day and time, Christ is absolutely divided, supposedly, and that's okay. No, division is condemned throughout the Scriptures. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we read what we refer to as the works of the flesh. It says, the works of the flesh are manifest or obvious. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, endings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This word seditions up here is translated, for instance, in the American Standard Version as divisions. Seditions, or we would put it more clearly, divisions are contrary to the will of God. They are a work of the flesh. They condemn people's souls to hell. Certainly, divisions are not a thing that we ought to embrace and consider as okay. It's normal. Don't be upset about that. It's just the way it is. No, we have to be upset. We have to speak out against those kinds of divisions. Furthermore, we know that this whole concept of denominationalism is contrary to the Lord's will. This is the simple bottom line, and this is really all that should matter to us. How does God want it? How does the Lord Jesus Christ want it? 
Um, what would you do if someone, a loved one of yours, someone very near and dear to you, had expressed to you a very deep, heartfelt desire? If someone that you really cared about expressed to you what they really, really wanted, how would you react to that? Well, typically, we would react by trying to fulfill that desire, right? If, that's, if that is so important to them, then we'll try to do what we can to make it so. Add to that, what if someone expressed that kind of desire or heartfelt intent in their dying breath? Well, that'd make it even more important to you that you could and should do what they wanted. Well, we very much have that in the case of John 17, beginning verse 20, when Jesus prayed for unity among his followers. John 17, beginning verse 20, neither pray I for these alone. He had been praying for his apostles, by the way. That's who he's talking to. He's basically saying, I'm not praying for the apostles alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus was praying this prayer just immediately before he was arrested and then ultimately crucified. And so this is the dying wish of Jesus, and he prayed for unity among his followers. Now, what kind of unity did Jesus have in mind as he was praying about that? Did he have in mind the idea, well, we'll have this group over here, and they'll teach one thing. We'll have another group over here, and they teach just the opposite on that same subject, but they, they'll be one. We'll call them one. We'll say they're really united, although they're very much different. In fact, we'll have several hundred, perhaps even several thousand different groups, all teaching and practicing different things, but we'll say they are one. Is that the kind of unity, a sort of unity in diversity? Was that what Jesus was praying for? That's what we've been told to accept that it's okay, that it's not bad, we shouldn't be upset, that it's really unity, although we're united in a diverse sort of way. Is that the unity Jesus was praying for? Well, we know that it wasn't, because Jesus wanted us to be one. Notice, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. He wanted all his followers to be united like he and the Father are united. How are, how are Jesus and God united? Absolutely perfectly, right? There's no disagreement of any sort or kind between the Father and the Son. They are united perfectly without any difference. And that's the goal that Jesus set for us as his disciples. That's what he prayed for. He was not praying for unity and diversity. He was praying for us all to be the same, to be one. And so clearly, denominationalism is a flawed picture the Bible picture is of all believing and practicing the same thing with any kind of division being condemned. That's the will of the Lord. When we analyze it in its fullest extent, we find out that the New Testament teaches us that there's really only one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We understand when we say that, that that's not a politically correct concept. People don't like to hear that there's just one church. But when they disagree with that, they're not disagreeing with us. Rather, they're disagreeing with what the Bible says. There's just one church. The Lord, for instance, only promised to build one church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, the, the context and discussion had been upon Jesus' identity as the Son of God. He'd been questioning his apostles about, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who acknowledged him to be the Son of God. 
And Jesus said upon this rock, upon my identity as the Son of God, I will build my church. Notice he said, I will build my church. It will be mine. It will belong to me, he said. But notice also that he spoke in singular. I will build my church. Not churches, not many, not lots of different ones, but just one. Jesus only promised to build one. We know that he only purchased one with his precious blood. In Acts 20, and verse 28, it speaks of the church which he purchased with his own blood. Notice he didn't purchase churches, not a plurality, but one, the church, the church, which he purchased with his own blood. We know that he is the head of just one church. In Colossians 1, verse 18, it says he is the head of the body, the church. He, Jesus, is the head of the body. What's the body? The body is the church, Colossians 1, verse 18. Now, Stop for a minute there to try in your mind's eye to picture the perverted view that denominational folks have about Jesus. You got a head up here, one head, and then you got a bunch of different bodies sprouted off of that one head. That's an ugly picture, isn't it? And again, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's not true to the Scripture. There's one body. Jesus is the head of that body. There's only one true church. Jesus is the Savior of but one body. Ephesians 5, verse 23 says he is the Savior of the body. One, just one body. Again, the emphasis is on one, not multiple ones. There are not a lot of different ones. It's not the case that you can go out here and in the religious community at large, you'll have lots of different choices and you can choose whichever one suits you best. What do you like? What do you prefer? Unfortunately, that's the basis for which most people make their religious decisions this day. What is your particular preference? What do you like best? We don't have that option. Because Jesus only promised to build one church. He only purchased one with his blood. He is the head of only one, and he is the Savior of only one. And we need to be in that one body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if we would be saved. In fact, true obedience just adds you to one church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord added to what? The Lord added to the Baptist denomination and some he added to the Methodist denomination and other ones he added to the Lutherans and then there were some that he added to the Presbyterians and then others to the Nazarene and others to the, Pre to the Pentecostals. No. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. As you go back there to Acts chapter 2, to that very first day when the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached, we all would agree, even denominational members would agree, there weren't any denominations back there. The Lord wasn't adding members to various denominations because there weren't any. In fact, denominationalism is a fairly recent thing. Most religious denominations can trace their origin to within the last few hundred years. They didn't exist back then, obviously. Nobody would even argue that point. The Lord wasn't adding people to denominations. He was adding them to his one true church. And we believe that one true church of our Lord and Savior still exists in the world today. It can be found or identified by looking at all the different religious groups there are and then finding the one that's following the Scriptures just as carefully as they possibly can, striving to be just like the church was back in the first century. By teaching and practicing the same things they did then, that church still exists today. There's just one true church, and if you're truly obedient 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord will add you to that church, and you really must be added to that church in order to be saved. All the saved are in that church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. True obedience adds you to that one. And so what about denominationalism? Again, unfortunately, in the world today, people have come to accept that as good, normal, no problem. The scriptures teach us that it is a huge problem. The whole concept is flawed. It's very different than what the Bible picture is of, of the church, and it is completely in opposition to the will of the Lord. We hope that you'll think about those things, that they will be a help as you strive to understand what's going on religiously in the world today. Uh, how do we contrast and compare what we see out there to what's actually happening, or, or actually described, rather, uh, in the Word of God? Think about denominationalism. It's an important subject for us to really understand. We appreciate your attention to what we've had to say. And as we bring our lesson to a close, we're going to sing a song of invitation with this intention, to ask you to consider your own life and standing before God. If you're not yet a Christian, if you haven't obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, we would urge you to make that decision without delay. Upon hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen back and not been faithful to the Lord, we urge you to come to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.